0: Lyrics for one week. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that she remembers no one else ever seems to is journalist and broadcaster Samira Ahmed. Samira, what are you up to and where can we find it?
1: Well, I present Front Row on Radio 4, I present Newswatch on BBC One and the News Channel, and um, although you can't hear it till November or even February next year, I've just got a commission to make another documentary for Radio 3, and it's called The Victorian Queens of Ancient Egypt, and it's a documentary about the amazing Victorian women. went off and founded Egyptology and archaeology in all the great museums.
0: Right well that's a bit of a contrast (laughs) to your first choice which is represented by this. that but probably not many of you will remember this samira what was that
1: that was the theme tune to the saturday banana which was an itv show that was running against i don't know what it would have been so it's something swap shop it was late 70s 78 ish and um there's two reasons i've chosen this one is it's one of the few programs that i wrote into and you you were supposed to send in a badge and then you would get a saturday banana badge back and I sent him, like, a really good one. I can't remember what it was, but it was, like, probably from America or something, something like a Bicentennial badge. And I got back a Saturday banana badge and a, you know, one of those signed photos of Bill Audie that isn't signed, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> reproduced. Um, but the other reason I chose it is because I am fascinated by the young co-presenter. And I think it had a couple of presenters over the years. But Melissa Wilkes, who I hadn't realised, hadn't quite put it together until someone told me on Twitter yesterday... Grew up to be Zamo's girlfriend in Grange Hill. And uh, I think she was discovered as an audience member on a kid's show. But she co-presented, you know, three hours of live television Mm. every Saturday. She was tiny. She had a kind of cockney accent. And she was a brilliant presenter. And I find myself thinking, how far back in time have we gone that we don't have anyone like that? Mm. Let alone an adult woman with that kind of accent. Just as a mainstream... You know, equal with this middle-aged <laughs> man, and I know she's really. Um, the reason people will have heard of her is because she was reading a cue card on the show, and it got turned. It got picked up for Dennis Norden's. It'll be all right in the night because she was talking about the Grand Prix, and she's. But it says Grand Prix here. <laughs> but that was that was one of the rare moments. Where you thought, shit, she's only nine years old.
0: Yeah,
1: well, she's phenomenal. I don't know why she hasn't had. She should be. She should be the equivalent of Jeremy Paxman now or something, you know. She should be Mm. presenting, you know, the one show, all those things.
0: Well, I have a theory about that, which is I think that there's a kind of tendency in adults not to like talented children that children actually like. It's the ones, the child geniuses, the prodigies that they think they should be more like. They get promoted, you know, the children who go to Oxford when they're nine and so on. (laughs) And they're the ones that get pushed and remembered. And the ones that are actually talented with children You're like right. them, they're seen as a bad influence. You're maybe. right, so like if
1: Jacob Rees Mogg had co-presented the Saturday Banana, he probably would be a major TV presenter today. Well, instead of just, well, I was going
0: to bring up who the other co-presenter was, who I Susan actually Tully. think was more arti- Well, apart from Susan Tully, there's somebody who I think was slightly more articulate than Mr. Rees Mogg. Uh, I hope they don't get in trouble for that. It was Metal Mickey, was the other fan. Yeah, well, I do you
1: know, weirdly, I used to love watching Metal Mickey the TV spin-off that ran on Saturday evenings with Irene Handel. I mean, it's yes. just this amazing generation of wartime actors who end up on 70s TV. But um, I never remembered him as a co-presenter of Saturday Banana.
0: See, I, I don't remember it at all because... I don't really have very hazy memories of it existing. The only thing I knew about it for a long time was in the official biography of XTC that came out in Ooh. about 1990. There's a photograph of them performing on Saturday Banana. Really? Um, which no longer exists because apparently there's only one edition of it still around. Apart from yeah. the clip that you mentioned, there's only one that was actually... Rec- I think they may not have been recorded at all. So in a
1: way, it's only in oral history, that yes, like the show yes. survives and when we die, <laughs> yeah. no one will remember the Saturday Banana. I mean, I, there was also that thing about the um, that period in the 70s where I'm definitely with that generation who, we didn't really touch the dial to ITV, It yeah. was considered a bit skanky. And somehow there was this window when, I, I didn't really like Toothless, and I know it's very uncool to say that, but I was very uncool. But I did like the Saturday Banana, and I thought, yeah, no, they're not weird, because like, Mike Reed did a runaround version on it. Mike Reed was slightly creepy skanky uncle wasn't he we like those no comments no comments (laughs) but also maybe there was a class thing there which is you know we we saw people who didn't just have Mm. posh RP accents
0: well that's interesting because I mean my equivalent to that was something very few people remember which was the Mersey Pirate which was a Saturday (laughs) morning show broadcast live from the deck of one of the Liverpool ferries and it was Billy Butler who's kind of locally a very famous radio presenter but he's not really known in the rest of the Country was the presenter, and it had uh, Scully originally appeared in there. The Alan Please Day character, written by Alan Please, oh. so and it was all broadcast live from a ferry to a bloke apparently holding up a satellite dish on top of the live building, relaying it. So the transmission often went down. Really? But it was, it was really interesting because, like growing up in Liverpool, it was quite often things quite patronising. They hinged on, you know, the idea that we were all stealing from each other, and the Even idea then. that yeah everything was defined by the Beatles and this was like it felt like it was showing us how we really were and it's it's not remembered in the rest of the country really, but it's really well loved locally I mean I can remember years later being at sort of big events where a boater come sailing in across the Mersey you know sort of showboat and somebody shouts, it's the Mersey Pirate and everyone cheers <laughs> and it's amazing how just that little bit of difference that little acknowledgement that you know we're not all kind of you know, aspirably Peter presented kids, some of us, you know yeah.
1: you super have your own posh, interests, with interests. yeah,
0: your own regional identity just that little yeah. bit of not. Just that goes a long way.
1: Was there something else, which was that weird period in the late 70s where you sort of had, there was a lot of the influence of sort of 60s culture, so there's a, there's a hint of the pirate um, pop radio stations, yeah, aren't yeah. there, in the whole concept, yes. and in the same way I was looking back, it was all the title sequences of the Saturday Banana had survived somehow on, on YouTube, and it's got a sort of Monty Python, slightly kind of countercultural feel. It's mm. all a bit random. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: and it's just a hint of it there before it gets completely transformed into what was to come in the 80s.
0: Right, well, speaking of children and television programmes, moving on to your second choice. Which is represented by this. I've come to
1: Highbury in North London to interview one of my childhood heroines, who is Lucy Martin, who I know as uh, the first Asian woman I ever saw on network news, uh, a reporter and presenter on Newsround.
0: OK, well, it's quite obvious who that was and what was going on there. But this isn't just about your letters to Newsround, Samira. This is about things that aren't being really discussed on the news anymore. Well, I sort of noticed as well, because I think... Years ago, the news was supposedly less accessible to children. I think you had that barrier between you know, whatever was on last on Children's BBC, Ludwig, or whatever, there would then be a public information film, normally about something that was nothing to do with you, like how to pour petrol on boats, you know, as if to say, <laughs> go away, you're not wanted anymore. And then the news was on, and then the children were supposed to see it. And I think now the news is just around you all the time. But when it was more accessible, we all tend to form quite odd ideas about it. So, you tell me about some of yours. Well, I
1: think it's partly just... Because people think we live in this age of terror now with all the terrorist attacks and, and anxiety, people forget that the the 70s was full of horrific terrorist atrocities carried out by middle-class kids, you know, like the Red Brigade in Italy or um, Bader Meinhof in Germany. He used to kidnap and torture, um, you know, businessmen. And in some cases, there was that young family. There was a, some... A couple of rich guys in Italy who kidnapped and tried to rape and torture to death two young women, one of whom miraculously survived. Um, And I didn't realise how much, because I used to watch the news all the time with my parents on bulletins, and I was always obsessed with the news, I have to admit. But I look back at school compositions, and we used to write a story every weekend. you know. And the story theme was, you had to pick an object, that was a favourite object, and write a story. And it was a story about a little pot, which I have still, I got it from India. But my story is actually about how I'm a... A child in Rome, and my father's a businessman, and I'm kidnapped by the Red Brigade who are trying to ransom me. And and then I managed to escape following a trick that I'd read about in a famous five book. Uh, so it was still the story of a nine-year-old. But the referencing of the Red Brigade mm. was clearly someone who just was used to seeing bodies being found in the boots of cars all yeah. the time. And I think it's sobering to realise how much children can absorb in normal life. In the same way I'd say, when I had my thumb, and I was... I was just about to start a job at Channel 4 News he used to, I used to watch Channel 4 News every night with him on my lap and it was just when you know after 9-11 the army went into Af- Afghanistan and launched a big thing so there were always explosions on the news and his very first fireworks party when he was two and the fireworks started he went oh mummy bombs <laughs> because that was the only explosion he'd ever seen on the television
0: well that's, that's right up there with one of my dad's favourite <laughs> stories about me was I think it was something about Cambodia on, on John Craven's news round of all things but Year zero and
1: genocide
0: That was it, it was year zero and apparently I said aged about five someone should tell them they can't do that <laughs> and for a joke he said okay you should tell them and apparently I said well I'll tell them Mm-hmm. I like the idea that this young boy would have, you know, gone up to the Khmer Rouge and said, stop it. Yes, you you know, can't but,
1: mess with time.
0: But um. the the other great one was, I mean, I think everyone thought, you know, when they talked about gorillas in war zones, I think everyone went the face. I think thinking they meant gorillas. But I remember <laughs> there was one where... It was the royal family of one of the African nations where it's out on the news they've been kidnapped by gorillas. And I thought, you know, they've been kidnapped by oh. some gorillas that come in. What,
1: silverbacks? Well, yes, yeah, and
0: then was, I was just processing it, then it that would end, have been
1: amazing, wouldn't it? Well, what story. the best thing was? It <laughs> said
0: at the end the guerrillas told them to put on their riding suits and follow them. And I remember sitting there thinking, "Now, how did they do that?" And I rationalised. I thought the guerrillas must have pointed at their riding suits and said, ug, ug. "Ugh, <laughs> ugh," you know, do put you know, them on. Possibly holding machine guns. I don't know. But it's
1: amazing what you can rationalise. Mm. Um, I didn't know until I was much too old. Actually where babies came from. You'd be depressed to hold doors. But anyway, and, and I was a very smart kid in many ways, but I had quite a sheltered upbringing. And going to Catholic school as well, I think I worked out that... The reason God must exist is because God would know if you were married or not, because you only got pregnant if you were married. <laughs> okay. And, and obviously, physical contact had no no clue. I did not know how old I was quite, I'm not quite going to admit. Yeah.
0: But you but can rationalise. out eventually. Yeah, but... I did.
1: Um, and I made sure my kids knew much earlier than I did. <laughs> but you can rationalise anything. But I like mm. that version. I really like that version. So what what else do
0: you think used to be common on the news that we don't really get now? Well, this is a huge
1: obsession of mine. One news round used to have, I think, five or seven million um, viewers, a lot of whom were adults, and it could tell you anything, including what was going on in Cambodia with the genocide. But I'm really conscious of growing up much more aware of European politics. And it wasn't that we got the minutiae of the EU Parliament, but I definitely had a sense of who was in power in France, what the run-up to an election was like, what their policies were, and the same with Germany. And so I can remember about 1981 when we had a socialist government in France and they imposed um, currency exchange controls. And everyone in school was saying, oh, you know, it means you can't take that many francs to you know, on your holidays. And of course middle-class parents in Wimbledon were really furious about this. But we knew from watching the news. And, you know, one of the things about presenting Newswatch is I'm really struck about how we've had a referendum about our membership of the EU when there has been no like, zero reporting of what goes on in, in, the, in the European Parliament and the Commission over the last ten years. I think that's madness. There used to be a programme at five in the morning on the news channel, which I used to watch and I used to get up very early to present Sunday morning live, and it was a half-hour programme of this week in, in Strasbourg or this week in... Where's the other place they go? Brussels, no. Where
0: is it? One of them. One of them, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I can you know so much about the European Parliament thanks for all the reporting. But yeah, it was a half-hour digest of the week in week in the EU Parliament, and that was the only place on the BBC you could find coverage. News has become so solipsistic, and I say this with no pleasure, you know, I'm proud of being a journalist, but I'm shocked at how, as proliferation of news channels and hours has grown, so you can turn on the news channel at any time and there's a load of them, I hear nothing except about the most self-absorbed Westminster kind of personal politics, you know, it's mm. all about characters, isn't it? And we don't actually hear facts about when was the last time we saw South America on the news? The odd thing about Venezuela, maybe. So, sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a political rant here, but I'm, I think we, there's a real failure of responsibility by broadcasters in Britain <coughs> to tell what's going on. And I will, I'm happy for this to go on the tape. As the BBC is a you know, public service broadcaster, we don't just have to chase ratings. We should be putting this stuff on. <laughs> You know, in news, on the news somewhere, whether it's a back half hour of the week in, in Brussels or the week in South America, just putting more world news on.
0: Well, I think as well, it's uh, this is why people complain, say there's no proper satire anymore, because there's,
1: quite often there's not enough of the
0: international absurdity on the news that you can make jokes out of. That's just personal yeah, observation, well, based the, on yeah. my one joke that I got on weekending as a teenager. Which was? Which was, uh, there used to be a Northern Ireland secretary, I think it was called Tom King, where they kept finding people in his garden. And I was like, you know, I probably wouldn't be very proud of this joke now, but I sent it in saying, you know, he's announced a new security measure, he's moving somewhere without a garden. Absolute dead silence to that. <laughs> I was fifteen and hey. I got fifteen pounds. So.
1: No, I think I think John Lloyd would have been very impressed. I think he yeah. something that in. How much did you get paid?
0: Fifteen pounds.
1: God, you'd be lucky to get that now, wouldn't you? Yeah,
0: yeah. You think
1: of what rates have into backwards. That was a good one. <laughs> um, I was the only other one they can think of is, if you think about that famous song from Not um, the Nine O'Clock News about being in love with the Ayatollah, oh, yeah. and it's full of jokes about the names of world leaders so I had to discard Giscard, Yeah. Giscard stand Everyone would have got that joke in 1979 mm. but you wouldn't
0: now. Well at least we have the news to tell us about these things because in your next choice something just suddenly happened. Okay, that's a piece of music that means a great deal to me. That's Patty Kingson from, from the Radiophonic Workshop and his theme from?
1: The Changes, which was based on, oh, who was the writer? It was a, a sequence of children's novels. Yes, um, Peter Dickinson. Peter Dickinson, the yeah. heart scenes, wasn't it? Mm. And I remember watching the first episode and being horrified in the way that kids in the 70s had entertainment made for us, which was about the breakdown of civilization. So the parents go nuts and start smashing up the television, and all the adults have reverted to some kind of superstitious medieval state. And it started really well. And I can also remember an episode where the you know the kids are now on their own, and they've fallen in with some Sikhs, and who you know who can because it's machines have all been destroyed. You can kind of help them make stuff from scratch, and are teaching them bits of Punjabi, which I thought was very multicultural for the time. But then later on, I I just you know I watched some of the, the episodes again now that everything's been rediscovered. And the acting is so god-awful. Mm. And it's, it's a terrible series overall, I thought. Just the way it's made. I'm not knocking the books. Mm. But I was... It's quite interesting realising what we took at, and, and thought was great at the time. Yeah. And the danger of nostalgia... But, the, but the, the menace of the opening episode, I thought, was completely let down by the end. Am I
0: wrong? Well, I don't think you're wrong because not so long ago I wrote a book that came with the DVD of Children of the Stones, which is another one. It seemed to be a thing in the 70s that the last episode would be an absolute letdown. Either it was all a dream or somebody just went, uh, that's stopped happening now. Or <laughs> even, even the Box of Delight. I oh, have really? to point out to people at the end he wakes up it's been a dream oh no you know, there's no I... proper explanation for any of these spoilers
1: I forgot that <laughs> one. Oh well save me having to read it
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to say about the acting because the one person I think really stands out even still in the changes is Vicky Williams who's the main lead kid in it who was one of those the kids that work good in these programmes never seem to do much else. Um, I, mean, I had a look on IMDb, she's been in lots of things, including, she was the next door neighbour in the Riddlers, and she also played Tessa Jowell in the drama about the NMR vaccine, which is a, a surprise, hilarious. but she never really took off, and there were quite a few like that. And there was Alec Christie who was in the Children of Green now, very good young actor, and he never really seemed to Take off uh, Devin Stansfield from the Box of Delights. Quite a lot of them.
1: Maybe they were all hideously damaged by working on these traumatic shows.
0: It's possible, yeah,
1: yeah. Because there was one which I think was a children's novel but was turned into an adult drama because the subject was so horrible, which was *Ed for Zachariah. Oh, yeah, Which is about yeah. the girl who's survived, a, you know, there's been a nuclear war yeah, and it's she's quite alone pleasant, in a, in a farm. It? And Anthony Andrews is the scientist who survives and comes yeah. to join her. And I think. I just remember it was on at nine o'clock in the evening and mm. it was creepy yeah yeah and I think if you that's your, your first role as a child actor maybe you just put your head down for a while yes I can
0: know. I can actually quite believe it I don't know I'll be
1: honest I don't think there was that much really good acting in 70s children's tv but it was all very stagey and maybe it wasn't mm. helped by the fact that everything was shot on those sound stages yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, because I think the few that have, you know, made it do have been people like Phil Daniels, Toya Wilcox, where oh, they were probably better yeah. than most of the cast, let's be honest about yeah. it. The changes, though, it's interesting. It has developed a cult following recently, but I don't think on... I think it's not on the basis of the actual programme. It's the fact that people are very obsessed with the whole sort of 70s idea of society breaking down, and also yeah. the soundtrack, which is quite, like... Can or or something? It's yeah, it, like it is. a German synth button.
1: And particularly the first episode, if you mm. turned on TV after school and that was here's on, you'd children's drama. <laughs> the adults have gone mad and are smashing up all television sets mm. and um the kids are the only sane people left. That that would you remember that and then you forget that the series actually was well, the thing I remember really well which also chilled me was the Georgian house. But I just remember that, you know, it's it's like the house has a museum now, isn't it? Yeah. And they find a mannequin of a slave boy and of course mm. he comes back to life and they yeah. go back in time and I just thought the idea of being a slave um, and Being taken away from it potentially or put back in it just horrified me.
0: Well, I think partly it is. I mean, the the big one for me was very, very vague memories of the tomorrow people and how futuristic and exciting I thought it looked. And then I love it, but when I watch it now, it's not quite how I remember it. And I think some of these programs being even more inaccessible made maybe a bigger letdown when you saw them again because they loomed larger in your memory. And your memory played tricks? Yeah, because yeah. you
1: couldn't see them get. I think the, the power of the Tomorrow People was that it had a genuinely terrifying opening title sequence. Yes, yeah. And that, often it's that. Most of these shows from the 70s, they had quite dark um, mm. and eerie um musical title sequences, regardless of the show. Even even Inigo Pipkins had a kind of, you know, quite dramatic sort of sixties ballad, didn't yes. it yeah. track from what was supposed to be a kid's show.
0: With so. zooms in on the terrifying puppets, right? Including yeah. the one that nobody remembers from Pipkins, which is the Doctor who was a a sort um, of human like puppet. I forgot the doctor. Yeah. I,
1: I think I've blanked that and I stuck <laughs> with when it became Pipkins after he died. Yeah. And um Wayne Larrier used to present it Yes, he yeah. Me. Now, what, see, there's an actor. Why wouldn't he? He actually became a news presenter in um, Southern or something, someone right. told me. But he was such a handsome, articulate, mm. thoughtful person. I just thought, why Why didn't his career become
0: huge? Well, he, he was on the Primetime American show as well, which I find inconceivable. The Boogaloos, of Oh, yes, now you've
1: reminded me. Was that before or after? I think it might have been before. I think it was before. It's one of yeah. those. Um, um, who were those weird brothers? Sid and
0: Marty Croft. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Do you know, there must be a whole equivalent of your podcast in the States, which is people who <laughs> grew up watching the weird world of Sid and Marty Croft. I once sat through an entire episode of that show, they had the Basic Two Rollers presenting. And oh, it was yeah. a version of Hell. It was like that film where people are trapped in Hell, and Hell is a TV show that you can't escape from, yeah. and it is that show.
0: Well, we're on the subject of bizarre 60s Americana, Here's a clip. It's not actually representing your next choice, but it's as close as we're going to get.
1: Now, I'm going to be very calm about this whole thing. If you take me back to my hotel room in the next ten minutes, I'll forget all about it. If you don't, I'm going to holler bloody murder to the American embassy. A very normal reaction, Miss Hartle. I'll tell you what, if my credentials don't entirely satisfy you, I'll holler with you. Hades? Headquarters, Allied defences, espionage and security. Colonel Douglas
0: Campbell, late of the Scots Guards, Presently in charge of this very powerful and very secret organisation. Do sit down.
1: Get that, Timmy. Well, yeah. oh, let me introduce
0: you. Friend Lieutenant Timothy Wade, Royal Air Force on leave of absence. Leave of absence is more like it. OK, well, that's a clip from Fathom, which is a 1967 film with Raquel Welsh and Richard Briers <laughs> as an international spy-busting team. Like I say, it's about as close as we're going to get to your next choice, which is a doll called Havoc.
1: So Havoc was... This doll produced by Mary Quant, she had all these licensed products, and she did two dolls, and one was Daisy, who everyone remembers. She had beautiful curly hair and an amazing wardrobe, including a kind of PVC red belted raincoat. I remember exactly from the catalogue. And my mother did get me daisies, but she also got me a Havoc. And Havoc had a zip-up scuba suit and a kind of short Mary Quant bob, and she was supposed to be like a kind of super spy. But because it was the early 70s and I had incredibly... Stereotyped ideas about masculinity and femininity. I considered her um, a sort of stand-in man for my daisies to fall in love with because she had short hair and, mm. and sort of was wearing trousers. Well,
0: I was going to say I, I, I've never seen Habet before, but I looked up some photographs. She looks like. It's somebody mistaken Jane Asher for a cake and tried to decorate her face oh, the enormous I thought, makeup. Okay, no,
1: I'd say she's more, she is more like Monica VT in Modesty Blaze. She has, yes, you know, yeah. and she's got, and she actually has makeup on. She's got kind of big, those big daisy eyes with the kind of giant 1960s, 1930s style eyelashes. And yeah, I, I think, I look at her and I think it's unfathomable what that I thought she would do as a man. But mm. my brother wouldn't let me play with any of his action then. And so I had to find someone for all my my plots. Mm. <laughs> so she did and uh, yeah I think she I think there were versions of her that came with, you know, sort of a gun and mm. stuff. So she was pretty damn cool. Well I saw the
0: advertising blurb right, which said with the skills and down to surmount every hazard, outwit every foe and all the gear she needs for her fantastic adventures, collect all her gear. So they weren't being subtle about it, they were saying buy all the accessories. Yeah but the accessories
1: yeah. were things um, to carry out missions. They weren't yeah. handbags. And, again, mm, you look yeah, at, yeah. you know, how many years did it take before they brought out vet Barbie? Um, mm. It was ahead of its time. It really was. And, yeah, I wish I kept on to... It. She was quite short, though. That was a bit annoying.
0: Were there any other figures in the range, do you know? Or?
1: I, think, um, I think internationally they sold her in pink and stuff, which seemed to defeat the purpose. Yeah. But, basically, she was she was just in a black zip-up scooper suit. Mm. And, yeah, as I say, I look back and you think how... Fantastically cool and modern that was. And there was also Action Girl, which you may well know, who was Action Man's female equivalent. See, I never knew that. I knew she there knew was that.
0: Action Man's mate with a beard because so I can't remember the name oh. of. Who, you know, so, <laughs>
1: this, is, this is a trauma for my brother that he had a load of Action Man. You had scars and different uniforms mm. and that weird knobbly hair. And Action Girl kind of came in a, um, a jumpsuit, a flared jumpsuit with a lovely long pattern sash, very 60s, long hair. And in the box, I've seen packaging. She came in a box where she's sort of standing there and there's a bunch of soldiers in a jeep behind her. Mm. And you think you wouldn't really want a package like that now. But the idea is that she's she's sort of a, um, she's ready for action. Mm. That still sounds wrong. Yeah, she was supposed to be, again, a bit like Havoc, a sort of secret agency person and again I was about three to be fair but I remember having to get my mother to force my brother to let us have a wedding between my action girl and one of his action girls <laughs> and we actually had a formal ceremony and the whole family was there and
0: well there's an <laughs> interesting adjunct to that which is not many people remember this but in addition to he-man there was the Shira range supposedly for girls oh yeah one of my sisters was very indignant about that because she her attitude was, why can't girls like he, man? Yeah. But At
1: least she existed as a character in her own right.
0: Yes, um, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the thing is, you can look back at your own childhood and work out what you played with. And, of course, there were loads of kids who probably didn't care about gender and they played with whatever they wanted and their parents let them. I actually... Had somehow managed to absorb incredibly stereotypical ideas, and although I had action girls in havoc, I made them play quite conventional princessy things. Mm. They didn't really have spy adventures. But it just shows you you can escape from that. And I grew up and I became a feminist. I mean, I mean, what's interesting about action men is it was such a defined idea of masculinity, mm. wasn't it? It was military and it was British. But they were lovely and they were quite realistic. And well, I loved the scars. Well, I only ever
0: had the space action, map Because oh, I didn't find the military it. one quite in, uh, really that interesting. That, it's too realistic. But, well, I didn't like the you know the idea of playing battle. So it would be more interesting if he might meet aliens or robots. Well, or or if he went gonna... in the fridge, because that was an ice planet. But...
1: Yeah, see, that's <laughs> good. Well, also, but you could tie handkerchiefs and then they could parachute down up, over the banisters
0: see I never actually did that I think I was too frightened of breaking it and not getting another one
1: and they had grippable hands
0: yes the, the real gripping hands as they were called yeah. which they weren't real so it was a bit false advertising they had strange
1: hair they all had hair mm. like Russ Tamblyn
0: Russ Tamblyn brother of Larry Tamblyn out of the 60s band The Standells that was my favourite fact mm. in the world that I did not know. know Yeah.
1: Russ Tamblyn's career mm. he's an amazing actor I think he's yeah. been quite um, short changed yeah
0: he was not Twin Peaks wasn't he I to remember. yes he was yeah
1: but I think he's done interviews where he feels there was... I don't know why, but he just sort of got stopped getting past. I think he was treated as being an acrobat and not an actor. But he was an amazing mm-hmm. actor. He was a yeah. rich head story. Yeah. Well, Brick Tom Thumb, which is still school. not available on DVD. Why is that? Really? I mean, yeah. there are a
0: few films that I'm surprised are available on DVD. Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter, the Herman Hermit's film, where to supplement their incomes, as pop stars, they by a greyhound. They sing songs as part of the plot. That's not on DVD. Work as a That's a word, surprisingly. It's still a black film. Think people just forget that some of these films existed really because oh, nobody's no. been not, that not, interesting not with
1: podcasts like yours too <laughs>
0: <laughs> nothing's oh, but, thank you. forgotten <laughs> no.
1: Otley isn't out on DVD That oh. no it
0: isn't, is it yeah I love that yeah. See, I used
1: to say that was my favourite film and mm. I've only seen it twice on um, on telly in the afternoon mm. and I think once I tried to tape it I might even have half of it somewhere yeah I love that film that's a Clement Lafrenia film
0: it was one of those ones that just turned up on an afternoon when you happened to be home from school or that sort of yeah, thing. It was yeah. based
1: on a novel, apparently, as well. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, Romy Schneider being lovely. Yeah. And weird.
0: And but one day I'll get that DVD of Smashing Time.
1: <laughs> yeah, so what's the story about why Smashing Time's not available?
0: I've no idea, because it was in that, that amazing uh, 60s exhibition at the...
1: Yeah. At um, the
0: um, V&A. The, the v a a couple of years ago. They had a huge extract from Sebastian Time playing on the loop, so it is there, it's available, so I don't know why it's not out. I know. It and just it, be overlooked.
1: I can remember the last time it turned up on TV, it was on at something like one thirty in the morning on Channel 4, and it would have been um, early 2000s, because I can remember where I was living at the time. But it's, it gets screening at the BFI once in a blue moon. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope that last time you watched it, you had something better to drink than what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Move, move, move. These aren't just any old bubbles getting into this battle of Corona. No, sir. Are they busy? Everyone has passed the Corona physical.
1: Mmm, oh. nice. Oh, it's really tough back there. No, no, no. Corona.
0: Every bubble's past its physical.
1: Yeah, that's it, boys. Let's see your fizz, fizz, fizz.
0: OK, well, that was not update a completely different fizzy drink. And there was a reason that we used that, which is...
1: I used to want to drink Corona because it looked interesting and exciting and it was orange fizzy. And my parents had this pathological objection to buying only certain branded goods. And one of them was branded fizzy drinks. And my dad had a business in catering supply. So he had a, a membership of this then very big catering wholesalers. Called Nerd and Peacock, and they had a giant warehouse near where we lived in an old Art Deco building, and you could buy anything by the case. So they used to buy all these weird Nerd and Peacock own-brand fizzy drinks, which were utterly disgusting. And some of them, you know, we had to have and pretend that, well, this is what you're going to have if you want Fanta or Corona or whatever. And it's it's weird that it still bothers me because I I don't allow fizzy drinks in my house anymore <laughs> for my own kids except for birthdays. But I just thought, if you're going to buy something, buy the real thing or just mm. don't buy it. Um, and yeah, it was part of the letdown was that they, bought, they would buy so much of it because it was so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so disgusting. Um, but yeah, the other main thing about Ned and Peacock was children weren't supposed to be in there because it had forklift trucks driving around mm. at the time with giant crates. And, of course, it's been the 70s. My father didn't <laughs> worry about it. And I remember going with him and some guys from the office to buy supplies. And suddenly, we're walking down an aisle, and this guy stops, supervising, and he points his finger like he's Donald Sutherland at the end of S- Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and shouts... No children! And of course, I'm the one who feels horrified and shocked. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it was definitely a kind of child catcher, Baron Bomberg moment as well. <laughs> we thought, what are they going to do? And of course, typically, they just let us finish our shop. Well, it sounds <laughs> like the
0: child catcher wouldn't have got very far as offering that cola to children. They'd have run in the other direction.
1: Yeah, well, the other thing was nothing was ever cleared out, so it sold you know, catering food, mm. but also, you know, supplies, but also toys. I think it was the idea is if you ran a, a corner shop or a newsagent, you would go and stock up on toys yeah. and things and sell them in your shop. So they had this bin which had, um, I think Star Wars was the first to sell kind of figurines, mm. which were kind of, you know, I don't know, about a foot high? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they were wrapped with a cardboard backing. And Space 1999, which was one of my favourite shows at the time, they had a lo- load of figures, and they would always be in this fat... And I'll be honest with you, I can't quite remember if my parents refused to buy any for me or if I was too scared to ask because I thought mm. they would say no. So we never did. But every time we went back, I would always find they were still there. And as late as, well into the 19... I, I think we're talking about 1985, which is just before it closed, mm. um, then it got closed down. They still had the same unsold Space 1999 really? figures. Covered in dust and still with old price stickers on them. Christopher Lee and Barry Morse. I don't know why I didn't buy them by then. I had
0: my own pocket money. Well, that, that's the thing about it. There are all these action figures that nobody really noticed at the time. That, you know, because nobody noticed them, they're worth a fortune now. And there were one that I wish I still had was there's a Disney film called The Black Hole, which is, I think, it's from
1: 1980. Oh, yeah. Anthony Perkins?
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, where I had, because I was obsessed with that film as a very small child, I think it was one of the first that I ever went to see in the cinema. But I had a figure of one of the robots from it. And I don't know what happened to it. I wish I still had that because. Even though it's worth a fortune I wouldn't sell it. But yeah, you know, they, they were all these they obviously thought, you know, oh people are gonna buy.
1: Well I think Star Wars just made everyone think about merchandising in a yeah. new way and putting out figures of everything.
0: Well that's why there was a children's toy, The Alien from Alien, which still baffles me to this day.
1: Well, don't forget they did Batman the Dark Knight and McDonald's only a few years ago. Really? That's one of my that's one of the things to get cross about, though that film was a twelfth um, mm. was it even just a twelve? No, it was a 12-8, so you could take four-year-olds to see that film mm. and see people getting stabbed with pencils um, and yeah. beaten to a pulp, but no blood.
0: And Next yet I remember being way. turned away for Absolute Beginners when it came out, because I wasn't 15. But, yeah.
1: You were lucky. They let me <laughs> I, in. I love
0: Absolute Beginners.
1: I, I sort of love aspects of it now.
0: Yeah.
1: It is, it's awful. It well, is like when you, all the hype about it. Do you remember the hype?
0: I do remember so the hype. so much
1: hype, and then going yeah. to see it, and within the first few minutes, your heart's sinking, and you think, oh, shit. This is like a 1960s Cliff Richard musical. No one's going to, this is not going to work.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really hang together. No. But my only real fizzy drink anecdote is similar, because I've tended to try and avoid low rent home from fizzy drinks wherever I can. But a couple of years ago, just after a house move, I was particularly skimped one month and um, I'm one of the few people who was addicted to Dr. Pepper. Uh, really? but I didn't have enough to enough money available to buy some proper Dr. Pepper. And then there's a test started so doing called Dr. fizz Which is probably about I think it's about twenty five pence for a big bottle. Yeah. And I bought some of it and I remember all the way home thinking oh my god what's this going to be like i remember putting on facebook as my status as a photograph of it so if you don't hear from me again call the authorities but it wasn't actually that bad
1: what what is supposed to be in dr pepper
0: um, is it licorice based pepper pepper, um, no
1: isn't it isn't it medicine? something like aniseed based or licorice based a bit is like Permo.
0: I don't know, I just know I, I enjoy it. I'm in, a, I'm in a very small minority. No,
1: well, yeah, it's, I guess someone buys it.
0: <laughs> okay, well I think one of the main reasons that people knew of Dr Pepper for a long time was it was one of the cans included in that bizarre, you wouldn't get this now, that game where it had the rifle to shoot cans off a wall. <laughs> that was around in the late 70s and one of them was Dr Pepper, but uh, there were other games involving walls including this.
1: I, played, I genuinely played a lot of, was some version of um, Brick Breaker or Through the Wall on the ZX Spectrum. And it's a story that I find odd, because my school in the late 70s, early 80s, was one of those schools that got a BBC micro, and it, you know, one computer in the whole school, and it sat in the basement by the boiler room, and anyone could go down in our lunch break, and there was a laminated code book, and you could sit and write little codes. And so I was one of the handful of geeks who would go down and code, and I would just animate little... Um, planet so I could pretend I was Sandra or Maya in Space 1999 or Uhura <laughs> and like there's an attack coming in um, and I would just be thinking this in my head while I was writing the code and animating it. that was all I could do and then at some point the school bought like a dozen ZX Spectrums mm. and filled the same room with them and they all had their own cassette machines so you could load programs in them but as far as I'm aware there were no classes I don't know when and how they expected them to be used but we discovered that they had this ball, um, brick breaker game on them so you know, the same hardcore started playing and then word spread to the you know, the other girls who weren't remotely interested in computing but weren't interested in wasting their time. And, you know, soon there was like, you know, a significant number of girls from the whole year would be in the room at lunch break. And I think teacher at Playtime must have realised there's a lot of girls not here and she suddenly walked in on us all and we were just literally playing Brick Breaker in the computer room and she just went What are you doing? Get out! And you'd think we'd been caught smoking drugs or something. Yeah, we all got out. But as I say, what you know, it was there. Yeah, um, we hadn't pirated the game. There were loads of copies mm. of it, and we were just playing it. Um, but I went to this very genteel school, and I think there's something about the generation of teachers who were in charge, because I had mistress she She'd actually flown Spitfires in the Second World War, although we didn't know this at the time. But she would say in assembly things like, we've had a complaint from a gentleman who says he's seen girls in school uniform walking down the street eating an apple and this is not the behaviour we expect. And, and, you know, even... Even at the time. And it was like, it's the 1970s. We just thought, what is she on about? Mm. This is not offensive. Yeah. When <laughs> I
0: mean,
1: you think what else was going on with schoolgirls and old men in the 1970s, I, I really find it baffling. Well, and also, you think
0: what kids nowadays might be up to if they're out the computer at a school. I mean, exactly. You know, playing a game with a bat and a ball. Yeah, is, I suppose uh, their idea different. was, <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that, you know, it's interesting, this, this generation gap between the generation who came through the war and kids hmm. who were growing up in the 60s and 70s. And certainly the arrival of computer technology it freaked them out, even without porn.
0: Well, it's, it is a sort of generational theory technology thing as well. I mean, you know, I've, I've even starting to feel it myself thinking, you know, what is this, this latest new chat application that the youngsters are using? And why is Jeremy Corbyn using it? It's, yeah. You know. But uh, certainly I remember people... I mean, it gets made into a joke now, but the video, nasties thing, these things. People acted us. though. Videos were going to, while you were sleeping, sort of come up the stairs and wind a flex around your neck and murder you. Like, yeah. it was supernatural. It could come from beyond the tape. Yeah. Well,
1: they say, I mean, I think it repeats every time there's something new. So the, when I first mm. started working as a journalist, the equivalent was raves. And I just remember my news editors, who were all at least 10 years older than me, were all obsessed with, you know, the depravity of raves. It was just a bunch of people being quite happy in yeah, fields, yeah. as far as I'm aware. But they thought it was, you know, it was like Reef of Madness, it was that same yeah. panic. And I can remember a bizarre TV drama that was scripted by the woman who wrote... She wrote The Best of Everything, mm. which was a novel about secretaries being sexually harassed in New York in the 1950s, which turned into a film. But she wrote this drama... Called Mazes and Monsters, which was clearly inspired by oh, yes. Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, and it was based on a completely false story mm. that um, a kid had gone mad playing Dungeons and Dragons and died. Mm. That playing role-playing games could kill you, and it started very young Tom Hanks. Right, right. And I remember my mother saying, "We have to sit down and watch this together, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> one of them, you know, because you need to learn." And there was this fear even about role-playing games. Mm. Um, yes, that he, he he was found dead in a cave, and he'd gone nuts and fallen off a cliff or something
0: and there was the way these things were portrayed as well I mean I remember Grange Hill had a video nasty storyline which Didn't people they? don't remember where somebody brought in a copy of Ninja Demon which obviously is not a real film and there was huge consternation amongst the staff who were saying, do your parents watch these films with you? Ninja Demon sounds pretty tame well, as well <laughs> and maybe
1: you could see what was to come which was the whole panic about satanic abuse do you remember that in the um, mid to late 80s? I do, yes, um, yeah and the number of cases that were investigated the number of adults who were locked up and then subsequently found completely innocent it's, mm. um, we forget witch hunts so are a very recent
0: Yes. Yeah. linked um, to
1: this and I'm sure part of it was this idea that they were being made to watch these bizarre things
0: right well speaking of watching inappropriate stuff in mm. appropriate circumstances moving on to your next choice which is something we've not even really been quite able to identify but this is it you are no match for
1: that black lady I'll take care of Cleopatra
0: Jones. Cleopatra Jones, starring Tamara Dobson, co-starring Bernie Casey, Brenda Sykes, Esther Rowe, and Shelley Winters as Mommy. Okay. well this isn't Cleopatra Jones it yourself is well remembered it's kind of the context you first saw it in yeah
1: now this is something I, I genuinely don't <laughs> think anyone else remembers this and my mother and other people I know have denied it's true but I know it's true and there was a, a children's show called Picture Box it was like a school's TV show on ITV and I must have caught it when I was off school stick one day and I think it was supposed to sort of encourage discussion for kind of general literacy and they showed this clip from Cleopatra Jones this is presumably for, like, nine-year-olds or ten-year-olds, I don't know. Maybe maybe they were supposed to be 12, maybe it's secondary age. And it's the scene where um, the evil drug baroness, Shelley Winters, finds out that her son has failed in some way, and he's in a car, and um, he's obviously been beaten up, and and he's begging for mercy, and she lets him be killed, and he's killed in a compactor. So you see him being lifted up by the hoist and going no, 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 and then being lowered into it and the whole thing being crushed and Cleopatra Jones is watching. And I remember seeing this and being horrified because then at the end they had a presenter, I'm sure it was a few presenter saying, so what kind of a mother do you think she was? Was she a good mother? And this is Shelley Winters who's just murdered her own child. Mm. And I'd never seen Cleopatra Jones, so I had no idea the context, but it's a very specific set of images. Anyway... 25 years later or so I'm a member of the BFI and I they had a black exploitation season but I went to see Cleopatra Jones and mm. this sequence suddenly took place on screen and that's that was the moment where I knew I hadn't been mad that mm. I really had seen this before and it had been used in a children's education program to prompt a discussion about yeah. motherhood they...
0: Bulk bought it cheaply because I would imagine at that point it didn't have a distributor in the UK and it was just sitting around not being shown. So they must have like bought it. They thought, What do we do with this footage we just bought? Let's put it in picture box.
1: But again, you just find thinking about the adults who were, who were producers on these programmes and mm. what they thought appropriate to show kids and this whole sense of boundaries. And again, I do mm. think it goes back to this that generation who were young adults in the 60s and now we're in positions of power at running television or in schools mm. and they were doing this stuff which they just didn't seem to know quite where the boundary was or, yeah. or, or felt that this was this was fine, but then, given what we were watching on the news you know, terrorism yeah, yeah. and all the rest maybe this wasn't such a big deal
0: Well it's, it's like, I mean I can think of lots of examples of things like uh, there was, I think it was when Andy Crane was leaving the brewery cupboards, Roger Thing came from and came to live on air and said oh, well yes. done mate, you've done a bloody good job and, and that Andy Crane looked out. appalled like because he's doing the live link that you know poor old Roger without realising himself bloody. Uh, oh. I can remember all kinds of things like that. I feel um,
1: really bad because Roger I knew really well because he yeah. would do doing night shifts on BBC World um, World. I don't TV. think he
0: did it deliberately.
1: No he <laughs> didn't but he's the loveliest most polite yeah. guy and yeah. now no one would think twice about it. No
0: and the, there was the, I remember being absolutely startled by there was a Blue Peter expedition to I think it was Russia in about 1989 when there was a teenage boy and Karen Keaton got the massage on it and very clearly enjoying the massage What, and
1: from a teenage boy?
0: No, I was a teenage boy oh, sorry. <laughs> No, 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 no that would be a whole other Blue <laughs> Peter scandal so, No Blue one, no one was massaging
1: <laughs> teenage boy. No, no, I
0: mean, I was quite interested to watch it but, uh, Sorry,
1: Karen yeah, Keating was getting a massage yes, and you I'm, were finding that really well, interesting
0: Well, no, it was, she seemed to be particularly enjoying okay. it and I did wonder if that was my memory playing tricks, but Never Google for this, people, because you will get odd results. But I Google, and I've found lots of forms of people saying, I remember seeing that and thinking it was oh, you know quite inappropriate. There? But
1: There's a Turner Prize-winning artist who, who made that film with found footage um, mm. about Northern Soul, I think. She's from Birkenhead. Yes. Do you yeah. know the one I mean? Yeah. I interviewed him last year, I think. And he made a whole thing which was footage of, she's quite a well-known carry-on actress, but not that... Liz, Liz Fraser. Liz
0: Fraser, yeah. Li-
1: and and he just remembered, he used footage of her kind of at a dressing table in her underwear, mm. getting dressed. And he'd obviously he said it was all mixed up with a memory of possibly seeing his aunt mm. getting dressed yeah. when he was young. But I think that's a whole there's a whole art installation in that memory of yours, Tim.
0: Uh, right, I wouldn't <laughs> want the public feedback about it, frankly. But uh, but I mean, Picture Box itself was, I find it. Wait, there is this whole thing about. I mean we were saying about things like the smaller people supposed to have scary opening sequences, but I, there are things we'll look back and think, why did people think that was not not inappropriate for kids, but why didn't they realise it would freak them out? I mean I particularly think of I think of the test card, you know children were obviously going to be scared by a clown and the girls staring at them there was the start and end of the cupboard dream green with the clown but uh, picture box a lot of people were frightened of the yes. opening titles with the box turning around and of course as mentioned in the previous edition of this the music played on instruments made out of bone which obviously you didn't know at the time uh, but really? it was done by Lasbrick Bache who were uh, French avant-garde musicians who played that piece of music on instruments they made out of bone, so which makes it even creepier. It just, and
1: remember the thing is, even in that thirty seconds that it ran, it was creepy. And yeah. part of that is there was a thing about late sixties, early seventies culture, which was very much built on the bones of Victoriana, wasn't it? Yes, and, yeah. Um, and that weird sense of spiritualism.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it music boxes, things like that. Children in sort of frilly. Clothes, you know, yes. like, I don't know why that was so prevalent in cho- well, children's literature as well. well I think Rent a
1: Ghost, the whole premise of Rent a Ghost is quite disturbing, isn't it? Well,
0: yeah, the the first series of Rent a Ghost basically about a man trying to fool his parents into thinking he's not died, and that's quite a dark.
1: So I've got a whole thing. theory about that. That's Fred, isn't it? Fred Mumford. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I think it's because our generation of kids we were so terrified of getting into trouble mm. and we were always more concerned about mm. like it was always our fault so it's like yeah. his fault his responsibility that his parents shouldn't know he died and i think back to when you know we were all warning each other at school about the creepy mm. teacher's husband it yeah. wasn't school i should say it was my piano teacher's husband who it turned out tried to get every girl in the house on their own and jumped us and we warned each other, but we never yeah. told our parents. Mm. And yet, I'm not joking, again, 20 or 30 years later, my mother says to me one day out the blue, was he a bit creepy? Did he <laughs> ever try it? And I went, yes, but like, if she'd been suspected, why hadn't she asked? Mm. And I just think in the 70s, kids were left on our own, we were given public information films, warning mm. us, it's our responsibility not to get in the car with a creepy guy, but no-one ever thought, actually, to, to work out how to stop mm. predators. Yeah. And now, finally... Since mm. Jimmy Savile, that yeah. that has changed, but that's why our generation hasn't told. Because somehow we we grew up with the sense mm. that it was our own responsibility and our own fault. Um, yeah, so I didn't know he quite got there from Rent a Ghost, but anyway, it does connect in some way. Oh well, yeah, I mean Rent a Ghost. <laughs> things like there was more of a sense
0: of you're allowed to be macabre and kind of sort of way, I mean, maybe. I actually preferred to rent a Ghost of the Kid the Ghost of Motley Hall which not many people remember which the ITV one with yeah. a similar premise but it struck me whenever he watched it they all died in quite horrible ways you know the sort of ghosts in the past in a stately home for yes. anyone who's not seen it but there's one who was an alcoholic soldier who fell down the stairs in Motley Hall there was a stable boy who died oh. in a black death there was oh. one who a, a jester where a prank went wrong and he died there was uh, one a prank. one who uh, was noble at dueling, but he got forced to have a duel, and he. That, and the worst one was uh, she the Steeple's character, the White Lady, as she always said, she didn't know who she was because she came from a time when women weren't taken seriously. So nobody remembered that. That's quite a bleak thing oh, for no, a children's comedy. God, do you think show. There was
1: there was all kinds of messages being put in there for yeah. people like yourself to grow up and have. And clearly, the show did its
0: work. Oh, I, I, I hope so.
1: <laughs> I did like. Is it Mr. Davenport? Yeah, and. Mr. Claypool was so lovely. He was Michael Stanford. Yeah, he, yeah, well. he was
0: great. And the, the theme tune was great as well, which he wrote. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: never worked out how sometimes they seem to be able to touch each other and rather than walk through each other, but I, I guess that was just a lack of special idea.
0: <laughs> okay, well I hope uh, we've put some decent messages into this that future generations might pick up on and develop some good ideas for.
1: I hope I hope people realize if you remember watching something on the TV, probably write it down. Actually you know what no, I think what I have to say is now they won't have the trouble we've had where I had to wait 25 years for my memory of watching Picture Box and seeing Cleopatra Jones on it proved to be true because everything gets kept doesn't it and yes, it ends up on yeah. YouTube yeah. Um, so they, hopefully there won't be any denial but then I wonder have they lost something because they won't have that false memory which we all have of how brilliant we thought stuff was yeah, and how awful yeah. it turned out to be yeah. and how boring <laughs> I couldn't get over, like even the title sequence of the Saturday Banana.
0: took a Well, I hope we've entertained people slightly more than the Saturday Bananas entertain you. Samira, it's been brilliant, thank you. Thank you, it's been brilliant and
1: disturbing.
0: Not On Your Telly by Tim Worthington. From fish to fun to ski boy, the ultimate guide to TV that time forgot. Find out more at timworthington.blogspot.co.uk